Shalom. Thank you for listening to this week's message from Emmaus Road Fellowship, where we encounter Yeshua in the scriptures. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org, where you'll find additional teachings and information on visiting us in Kingwood, Texas. If you've been blessed by this ministry, please consider giving to support Emmaus Road's mission of spreading the good news of the kingdom. May God grant you shalom in the name of Yeshua, our Messiah. Um, like we always like to do, we like to check in after worship and just to see if um, anybody had any words or uh, anything they'd want to share. Good morning. Um, the only thing I wanted to share was that through every worship song, I kept hearing the word trust and in my prayer this morning, um, I remember and, and I said, and I prayed to God and I thanked him for having my life and my children's life and my family's life in his hands. Um, and I said to him, Lord, how could I not trust you if you made the sun and the stars and you hold it all in its place? How can I not trust you with my little life? So I'm just thankful that he called us all by name and that I'm here today. Mm-hmm. Um, I keep hearing this song, How Great Thou Art, and usually when I hear things over and over at different places, I know something is up, I just don't know what. But during service I was given, or during praise and worship, we all have a measure of faith. Use it and trust Him. As you continue to walk in the faith you have, you will be given more faith. And as you are given more faith, exercise it through Him as He desires to do things through you for the kingdom of heaven. This morning, as I was putting these words together, Miss Marilyn, I'm kind of, we were talking about trusting right now in our relationship with, with the Father. We are walking through something that is terrifying, but He has us every step of the way, and to think of not trusting Him is, I don't know where I'd be if I didn't. So He's providing miracles every day, and I'm so thankful for that, that I can trust in the Father who is going to protect me, and I'm also so thankful that I was raised by people who helped me learn that and to walk in faith. And I pray that I get to help my children learn that too, that there's always going to be our Father and our provider, no matter what circumstances we're walking through, He's going to be with us. All right, so today is an amazing day. We have been advertising the men's retreat for about eight months now. <laughs> and, and we're going today. We are promise you. We're not just going to drive around 610 for a couple days and then come back home. Um, so it's exciting. So it's Rosh Hodesh. So after the service, uh, Omid's going to share um, the uh, the month of Kislev. And so we get, yeah, at least for my, we get food, we get fun fellowship, we get uh, a retreat to get away to, uh, speaking of the guys. Um, and so uh, today, uh, and then you get me. So that's cool. Every now and then I get to pop up here and, uh, and share something. So today is the Torah portion, uh, Parshat Chaye Sarah, or in English, the life of Sarah, um, which is um, kind of funny, interesting. Uh, maybe I think the two, first two sentences really talk about Sarah and it's her death. Uh, and, but what's not interesting or funny um, is that Abraham, Abraham eulogizes her, which usually is about their life. 
Um, so in, uh, there's really three main storylines in this Torah portion. The biggest storyline, which I'm actually not even going to really touch on too much today, is Isaac, or actually Abraham, sending Eleazar to his homeland to find a wife for his son Isaac. And uh, thank you. That's great. Now I can see you guys. Um, and then that is sandwiched in between the death of Sarah and the death of Abraham. Uh, and so those three things, I mean, there's actually, there it is. That's the Torah portion in a nutshell. So Omid, are you ready for, I mean, we got a, <laughs> we got a retreat to go to. Um, so that's it. So, and as I looked at it, as I was thinking about it, there's this initial theme um, that kind of hit my mind and just saying, God, what do you want to talk about? And I think this first part really is more of a prophetic word uh, for somebody, or it could be us. Um, but in the Jewish culture, an understanding is a righteous person is not taken from this world until his or her successor has been born. And we see the death of Sarah, these first couple uh, first couple sentences. But if we go back to the Torah portion before, towards the very end, you'll see that there is the birth of a woman named Rebecca. Um, and so it, we're kind of going and stepping in, and then the rest of this Torah portion, Eleazar goes out, finds Rebecca, brings her back. And so there's this element of we're going from Sarah to Rebecca. We're going from glory to glory. Um, and so there's a transition going on. And I just want to speak this. So one season is ending. Another season is beginning. And so there is a transition. Somebody is moving out of a foundational transition. Sarah was the foundation of the faith. She was the mother of all mothers. She was the first one. She was the, she's the one that gave birth to, um, to Isaac. It was, it was her child with Abraham that kept the lineage of the Jewish people going. So we're transitioning out of a foundational season to a building one. So God is moving. He's not moving you into a new season without the promises for that new season already being there for the taking. In the same way that he will not let somebody pass along before there's already a person in place to take their position. I just feel right now that somebody here is in a transitional season. The foundation has been laid. You've done a lot of work. Now it's time to build. And the reason God's calling you to build in this moment is because he's already provided for you the tools necessary for it to happen. So ask for it, seek it, and take it. And that could be for us. I don't know. could be for you. But I just felt like God wanted me to start out with just the understanding that he's always ever expanding. He's building. He's growing. He's not stagnant. And for us to remember that, and for especially in this time, as we learn and, and, and dig into to Sarah's life a little bit and, and understand that uh, she built such a great foundation. Um, and so 
Another thing that crossed my mind as we were looking into this is just the, uh, uh, the eulogy of Sarah. So it says Abraham eulogized her, but the, there was, um, how to say, eulogies usually tell the life of somebody. It's the end. And so I had like the end in mind as I was looking into to this Torah portion and what to share. Um, there were, uh, some people have, have understood that there's uh, what the 10 trials of Abraham. And they're hide, highlighted of all those different trials that Abraham went through and, and, and was tested. And, and it kind of made me think too, what was Sarah's perspective through all of that? To see a man go through trial after trial, test after test, there's a woman involved there too. And so it made me think, what, what was that about? All it says is that Abraham eulogized her. Actually, some translations say that, some don't. What did he say? And so the Torah portion, so the idea of Sarah's eulogy is really what kind of what kept kind of coming into my mind, and we're actually going to end with that. I'm going to try to eulogize Sarah the best that I can towards the end. Uh, and always have that. And so because of that, part of the theme that I wanted to discuss today was to start with the end in mind. What is the end? What is, it's kind of tough because, you know, you go from one thing to another. We're going from one season to the next. What's the end of this season look like? Or the season just ended. What's the next season going to look like? Um, so with that in mind, I actually wanted to start at the end of the Torah portion um, and kind of go through uh, the death of Abraham first, skim through Eleazar, finding Rebekah. Um, I think this is probably, when it comes to a time frame, of the, the amount of time that this covers, I think this is one of the shortest partials yet. Um, and so, Abraham. I'm always fascinated by this, too. I like how sometimes they give such detail in certain areas, and then all of a sudden, and 35 years, six kids later, he's gone. Whoa, whoa, that was, that's a lot there. I mean, six kids? I mean, they qualified to come to Emmaus Road. <laughs> so Abraham took another wife. This is at the very end. So I wanted to start with this because as it customary in Torah, we're going to talk about the end of Abraham's life, the end of Sarah's life. I want to end with Sarah. So I'm going to begin with the end of Abraham. So it's customary in the Torah that when a person's role in the development of the narrative is complete... His life or her life is summed up, even though he may have lived many more years. So we see that here with Abraham right after he arranged for the marriage of Isaac. And the destiny of the Jewish people moved on to the next generation. Even though Abraham lived for another 35 years and had six more kids. And so Abraham took another wife whose name was Keturah. She bore him, oh man, there's names. Where's Omid? Omid, can you come up here and, and say this for me? That's all right. I'll get it. I'll get it. She bore him Zimron, 
Jakshan, Medan, Midan, Ishbak, and Shua. Jakshan fathered Sheba and Dedan. The sons of Dedan were Ashuram, Letushim, and Leumim. The sons of Midian were Ephaph, Epher, Hanak, Abida, and Eldiah. All these were the children of Keturah. Abraham gave all that he had to Isaac. But to the sons of his concubines, Abraham gave gifts. And while he was still living, he sent them away from his son Isaac, eastward to the east country. These are the days of the years of Abraham's life, 175 years. Abraham breathed his last and died in a good old age, an old man and full of years, and was gathered to his people. Isaac and Ishmael, his sons, buried him in the cave of Machpelah, in the field of Ephron, the son of Zohar the Hittite, east of Mamre, the field that Abraham purchased from the Hittites. There Abraham was buried with Sarah, his wife. After the death of Abraham, God blessed Isaac, his son, and Isaac settled at Beer Laha Roy. And after this, he kind of concludes the life of Ishmael as well. Um, and so I just always found it interesting. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, kind of forget Isaac had a whole bunch of half-brothers. And so it, and God loves them too. It's just that the promises of the Messiahship came through a very specific line that God was calling. Um, and so Abraham, 175 years. In fact, sometimes they call it 100 years plus 70 years plus, uh, plus five. I know that because my son was working on that in math class the other day. He had to expand it out. 100 plus 30 plus 8 is 138. Um, so Abraham is, has built, he's, he's done what he did. Man, that's probably the, the least worthy explanation of his life ever explained. But he is, he's moved on. We're ending. This, this partial ends, but it ends with a catapult to the next, to the next stage, the next section, the next, um, next purpose for what God is trying to accomplish and for what God is wanting to do. Um, and so with that, I wanted to go to the life of Sarah and what that meant and the fact that, and, and, and really just to ask, what does it mean? What was her perspective? What was her vision? What was her purpose? So Sarah died at the age of 127. She's buried in Machpelah, the cave in Hebron, which Abraham purchases from Ephron the Hittite for 400 shekels of silver. So if we read about that, it's in Genesis 23, 6 through 20. He says, Abraham listened to Ephron, and Abraham weighed out for Ephron the silver that he had named in the hearing of the Hittites. 400 shekels of silver, according to the weights current among the merchants. So the field of Ephron and Machpelah, which was to the east of Mamre, 
the field with the cave that was in it and all the trees that were in the field throughout its whole area was made over to Abraham as a possession in the presence of the Hittites before all who went in at the gates of the city. After this, Abraham buried Sarah, his wife, in the cave of the field of Machpelah, east of Mamre, that is Hebron, in the land of Canaan. The field and the cave that is in it were made over to Abraham as property for buying a place by the Hittites. And so, earlier in, the, in, that, in that little story, the field was offered to Abraham for free. And I don't know about you, but most of us would be like, woohoo, free cave. It's got it. No problem. But Abraham insisted on buying it. He says, no, uh-uh, I will buy it. And not only just bought, buy it, he bought it at top dollar. And we'll get into actually what that dollar amount was. Um, the numbers I figured out were based on inflation from 2019, so add a little bit more to that right now. So, but why would he? It's just the, the, the mindset of why would you, why would, if somebody gives you something for free, why would you insist on buying it? The only thing I could think of was he wanted a receipt. He wanted a receipt. He wanted something that proved that this is mine. Who knows what gaslighting will go on a couple generations later. Oh, is that really yours? You snuck in. Where's your purchase? Where's your receipt? Where's your proof? Abraham, thinking ahead, was like, "Uh, uh, uh-uh-uh, no, I'm going to buy it. I'm going to buy it. I want my receipt. I want to prove that I paid for what God has given me. And receipts, receipts can come in money. They come in scars. They come in memories. They come in all things that we can prove that God was with us and that God got us through things. And so the Talmud explains that each shekel, so I, I did initial value of the, uh, of the shekel. I think it was like um, $320 per shekel. So then I added it up, multiplied it, $128,000. I'm like, that's, that's really not that expensive. I mean, for me, yes. I don't have $128 right now just to write a check and go buy some land. Um, but, for that. but then Talmud actually explained that the shekel that Abraham used to pay for the lot of land was worth 2,500 ordinary shekels. So 400 times 2,500 ordinary shekels equals 1 million shekels times $320. What is it? $320 million. Okay, that, okay. that's a little bit more expensive. But $320 million. And it was one of three places that the scriptures attest to the Jews' possession of the Holy Land. There's the cave of Machpelah. There's the tomb of Joseph. And there's the site of the Holy Temple. But I go back to that, though. There's the receipts. The tomb of Joseph is in Joshua 24, 32. It says, as for the bones of Joseph. That's right, Joshua, Joseph. I got it mixed up. As for the bones of Joseph, which the people of Israel brought up from Egypt, they buried them at Shechem in the piece of land that Jacob bought from the sons of Hamar. 
the father of Shechem, for a hundred pieces of money. It became an inheritance of the descendants of Joseph. And then the next one, the next verse was the one that really caught my mind when I was thinking, yeah, it's worth it. David was, there's a plague, and he wanted to make sacrifices to the Lord. He needed to go find a place to build an altar. And so he says in um, 2 Samuel 24, 24, but the King David said to Aruna, Arauna, no, again, I'll give it to you for free. David saying, no, but I will buy it from you for a piece of gold. I will not offer burnt offerings to the Lord my God that cost me nothing. So David bought the threshing floor and the oxen for 50 shekels of silver. Again, David sees the value of what it means to purchase something or what it means to acquire something of the Lord. I'm not going to worship. I'm not going to sacrifice anything that cost me nothing. And so, um, even with receipts, there is right here three examples of land in Israel that belongs to the Jewish people. They have receipts, they have proof, and even then, the enemy still claims, tries to claim possession of what is rightfully God's. He takes that which is not his, proclaims it as his. Even with receipts, even with proof. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 20 says this, For you were bought with a price, so glorify God in your body. You were bought. You were purchased. God's got receipts that you're His. And even then, we still, for some reason, allow the enemy to come in and create doubt that we're even His to begin with. Why are we allowing the enemy to try to proclaim and take ownership of something that's not His? We are His. I guarantee you, too, God was even working in your life before you even said the sinner's prayer. He loved you before then, before you even recognized Him as Lord of Lords, King of Kings. He knew you. On the cross, Yeshua came and said, you're mine. He's got receipts, but yet continually through our life, we'll let situations, we'll let circumstances, and rightfully so, they're hard, try to convince us that, is he even really here? Am I being heard? And I know that that verse in 1 Corinthians had more to do with sexual purity, but it also has to do with what you bring into your mind. What do you watch? What do you listen to? Who are you around? Have you recognized that God paid a price because you're worth it 
and you're valuable. Not because you're worthless, but because you have value. God saw value in you. He says, you're mine. One of the things that I think um, that I've been able to do, I say I've been able to do, that I've been challenging myself to do, is just remind me, remind myself of whose I am. And I can, I can honestly tell you, I think I see a difference. Um, the only true person to probably ask would be my wife. But every day, I try to look at myself, I say, I know who I am, I know why I'm here. I've even looked at myself in the mirror a couple of times and said, I love you. Uh, I've never done that before. But again, God's shifting me into a new season. He's shifting you into a new season. The foundation's already been built. It's been laid. Now it's time to build up. We're moving from Sarah to Rebecca. And Sarah, as we mentioned, um, was talked about here, had the, the ten trials of, uh, of Abraham. So I want to move into the, um, the eulogy of Sarah. It's going to be a little bit longer. Um, I'm going to read from it, but I might stray off and say some other things. But I want to eulogize Sarah. And, and then we'll end with that. So, Sarah, you lived 127 years. You didn't just exist. Your life was full of adventure, it was exhilarating, inspiring faithful. If there was ever a woman, a person worth emulating and honoring, it was you, Sarah. When you were a hundred, it was as if you were as guiltless from sin as if you were 20. And when you were 20, you were as beautiful, as innocent looking as if you were seven. You were a hundred. You were 20. You were seven. I watched you, Sarah. I know it might sound weird to you, but you probably have no clue the number of people that have studied your life in order to gain wisdom in how to live. You were worth watching, Sarah. You were worth studying. You taught me. You taught the world a lot. You taught me, Sarah, that as we go through life, we all go through stages. Earliest youth is filled with innocence, exuberance, and curiosity where we're discovering ourselves. And when we become adolescents, we start prizing and prioritizing independence. As we get older and we find ourselves responsible for others, we become more focused on the future. And eventually adulthood gives way to middle age. And middle age gives way to our sunset years. You taught me that each of these stages comes with new priorities, new perspectives, new ways of looking at our lives, and new ways of looking at the world. Most people go through life living each stage independently and then leaving it behind as we are experiencing the next one. 
But there's another way to go through life, an extraordinary way. It's the way you did it, Sarah. You see, I noticed you. You didn't just passively travel through life's stages, discarding the past for more immediate stage of the present. No, you built as you went. You took each stage with you as you encountered the next one. So, you know, you're seven. You're wide-eyed and curious, but as the years pass and you approach 20, you don't exchange that curiosity of youth for independence and self-discovery of your new adolescent self. No, you took it with you. That curiosity, you merged it somehow into your new teenage self. And as you progressed further towards adulthood and you started attaining a little bit of wisdom, you merged that wisdom with the curiosity and independence of your earlier stages. And that kind of synthesis, it continued. Through adulthood, through middle age, through your later years. That is what made you extraordinary, Sarah. You were able to bring all of your earlier selves with you as you aged. It made your years more powerful, more potent, more queen-like. When God appeared to your husband and changed his name from Abram to Abraham, he changed your name as well. The covenant God made with Abraham is that he would be a father of many nations, but the womb which those nations would be birthed was through you. Your name changed from my princess, Sarai, to princess, Sarah. Rulers of nations shall come from you. It was almost as if God himself was telling Abraham, I know you love her, but she's not just yours anymore. She's the princess of the world now. She belongs to humanity. The Ten Trials of Sarah. I can't even begin to imagine what it was like as you went through trial after trial and tribulation after tribulation with Abraham. Your trust and faith in God was unwavering. You left the only home you knew to seek out a new home, a new place with Abram. You trusted in what the Lord told him. You believed in Abram's calling. You followed him, encouraged him. And without a permanent place in mind to settle into, by faith, you picked up your stuff and you went. You believed in the promise, even though you hadn't seen it yet. I'm convinced that any uncertainty that Abram might have had was squashed when he knew that you would be there by his side the whole time. Then the new land experienced a famine and drought and forced you down to Egypt. How scared you must have been. You just picked up everything and left. I'm sure you've been questioned if y'all were even supposed to have moved at all. The doubts that flooded your mind. Can't even imagine the conversation you had with Abram at the time as you traveled down to Egypt. You were gorgeous, and Abram knew that. And you both knew what potential that could cause. 
You pretended to be somebody that you were not to save your husband and the person that you were. You willingly allowed yourself to be taken away from the man you love into the captivity of the king of a foreign land. It's almost as if you had confidence that God would step in and save you both from the threat. You watched as Abram left your house to do battle with four kings to rescue Lot. How you laid in wait, not knowing the fate of the man you love, apprehensive of the outcome, hoping to hold him just one more time. I'm sure his courage made you both proud and scared at the same time. The heartache and pain you must have felt to have to wait all those years on the promise of a son and not to see it come. Hope deferred must have made your heart feel sick. You did what you thought was best and you gave Hagar over to Abraham to help in the the process. The fact that she conceived quickly must have been a dagger to your heart. Then, with the promise of your own child still yet unfilled and sneaking, if not already, into the realm of impossibility, you watched Abraham cut off a piece of himself to confirm the covenant promised to God. You laughed at the idea that a child of promise was still a possibility, and you laughed even more so when Abraham tampered with the main piece of that puzzle. Not once, but twice, at least that we know of, You chose to give yourself up, this time to Abimelech, for the sake of saving Abraham's life. Maybe it was easier this time knowing that you have the testimony of God saving you once. But my thoughts are, it's never easy. You saw the struggle your son of promise Isaac had with his brother Ishmael. To see the effects of corruption towards your own flesh and blood probably hurt you just as much as it hurt him. You protected your child and his destiny at all costs. It wasn't just the destiny of your son, Isaac. It was the destiny of a nation. I can't even begin to imagine the trauma your heart went through when you heard the news of Abraham taking Isaac up to Mount Moriah. Your motherly instinct took over, and while a montage of memories scrolled through your mind, you feared the worst, and your soul could not fathom that the promise of God that Isaac's life could possibly end this way. Whether your grief caused your soul to depart or an overwhelming joy came over you because you heard the news that Isaac was still alive, it was the overall emotional toll that the Akeda had on you that caused your departure from this earth. You were the real queen, Sarah. Even if you didn't have the title of queen while here on earth, I can almost guarantee that someone in your lineage will take your qualities, use your life lessons, step into that role, and with God moving behind the scenes, help keep the purpose of your people moving forward. Each stage in life strikes a different musical note and makes its own sound. When I strike one note at a time, That's ordinary. But when I take one note and integrate it into another, you know what that's called? 
That's harmony. That's the stuff of what symphonies are made of. And that is what it means to live an extraordinary life. Your example can help us find ways to become masters of our moments, just like you did. When you are 20, you still have seven. And when you are 100, you still have seven and 20 also. You're 100 years, you're 20 years, you're seven years. You're all of it together. So I want us to just take a moment as all eulogies of all next seasons of all something is ending. I just feel it. Something's ending. Something else is, is about to just explode. So there's something about properly finishing a season, preparing your heart for the next. As we eulogize Sarah, as we gave her the honor of, of saying goodbye, it's just all goodbyes. I want us to allow the emotion of whatever season we went through, whether it was pain, joy, hurt, grief, anything. Allow those emotions, bring it in, invite God into it, let him dissolve it, let him move in it, and let him speak into your life the next season. So I'm going to end with prayer, um, and then uh, Omid's going to come and share. But uh, before I end in prayer, um, since I did end a little bit early, does anybody have any thoughts or anything else from this? You made me cry. Yeah. What in the world? Um. Not my intent. <laughs> I like how you came to the approach of writing the eulogy. Um, we did something like that when I was in youth as a kid, but um, reading through these past portions, this time, um, every year is different, but this year, um, I was upset for Sarah a lot. I was like, oh, Sarah, you're going through all of these things. And like, we're talking about Abraham a lot, but oh my goodness, Sarah, like, gosh. And now reflecting back on it, seeing how it was her trust and her walk, like, how you can make me cry again. So just, mm -hmm. that was, it was really nice to be able to end Sarah's life on that note this year for me. So thank you for sharing. Mm -hmm. You also made me cry. I'll just be honest. Um, you, you reminded me of, uh, of many seasons and many closings that did not end in even close to any sort of harmony or, or blessing that I saw in the time. Um, instead, just lots of pain. And in moments where instead uh, Sarah is a direct contrast, there's a lot of, of fear, but uh, courage that the Lord just uh, trumps over. Mm. That uh, where, where pain and fear sort of seems to limit us, uh, God seems to come in 200%. Mm. And that's just the exact kind of season that I think a lot of us are in and that a lot of us are, are here to establish and see to come to fruition is for uh, whatever is ending and dying. You know, it's even fall right now. Um, the only thing that's going to remain is the evergreens. And that's because they have pine needles instead of leaves so they can keep getting sunlight. And I think we're in that exact same place. 
We need to be like evergreens. We need to keep facing the sun. We need to keep seeking God. We need to remember that doubt can't reach him, that our weakness and our pain and all the things that we stay focused on are for us, for our physical place. So we stay dependent on him because we're not strong like that. He is stronger. And I mean, that's just about it. You've reminded me of those things and I've been stuck in that exact idea that you've been saying, who am I? I am his. I've been thinking that exact same thing for days as well, brother. So it's a, a wonderful message. Thank you so much. Thanks. So it was a great message. So uh, the receipts thing about the trials and the scars, there's just, that just really, really jumped at me. But uh, the change in seasons, like for me, I'm leaving a season of being a widow and Raj and I are getting married in two weeks. So it's this huge change in seasons for me. And um, wow. so Amen. you mentioned, you know, seasons exploding and it's just, I've been so surrounded with love and just, he's giving me everything I've prayed for and I just need to trust in him and I know that even more good is coming. I just need to trust and listen every day to how I can pivot to allow his will to keep moving in my life and uh, just with as much ease as possible. So, mm -hmm. But it was just a great message, so thank you. Oh, thanks. I couldn't help but think earlier when you were talking about our identity and who we are and the doubts that we bring in and, and, uh, and the world's full of that if we allow it to be, allow it to do that to us. And I, was, I couldn't help but think of what Yeshua has done for us. And, and back when someone was crucified, above them was put basically their crime and what they did. And, um, it, you know, it's interesting that he ended up putting the king of the Jews, which to them was uh, uh, that wasn't something in other words they were they were trying to put something that shamed him or whatever but in, but instead that's who he was and he was truly a king and in doing that they weren't actually condemning him the way they thought they were but actually uh, declaring who he was mm -hmm. and I think that makes me think of the reality of our lives that no matter what Satan or Satan's messengers put in our lives we have the declaration of who we are God tells us so many promises of who we are, and we have to be able to focus on that and remind, remind that. I know some God, because God's doing things in your life as well, and some God put in my life about six weeks or so ago was to take all of my prayer requests every day, and I wrote them each on a card, and then I, after I pray, I give it to the Lord, I said, this is yours. And I take the next one, I said, this is yours, because I really can't do it. God's only gonna, and what I can do is not gonna be what I should do anyway because God's plan is so much better than what I can do. So just remind, I thank you for that and just reminding who we are, what we're gonna leave behind, our heritage, uh, our children, and uh, just God has so much more than we can see in our limited view of things. Praise God. Mm -hmm.
So to echo, I thought it was a wonderful message. It was so much to reflect on and think on. Um, you know, our lives are the sum of many parts. Mm-hmm. And God takes those parts and he can form it into, as you said, a foundation from which to build further on. And our parts can, we can go through trials and difficulties and know that God can take what was bad and use it for good. Mm-hmm. So even as we go through difficult times, we move into a new season. One of the important things is to recognize where God was in it and that he was with us. Just as we sang earlier, he's always by our side. He's a faithful father. Mm-hmm. And so as we're moving from one season to another with the foundation being laid, it's important to say, what's the bitter root that needs to be removed from that prior period, that prior difficulty, so that we can go forward with a firm foundation into the next era of building. And so the really the way of removing that bitter root is surrendering it to the Lord, mm-hmm. letting go of offense, letting go of hurt, and saying, my God can redeem all things. Mm-hmm. Amen. Transition and changes will come, but God will always be there with us, just as the meaning of his name. I know Chris mentioned that his name means I was with you, I am with you, and I will be with you. Being an only child of a single mom, when God took my mom, I had to see that he first gave me Amy, Raziel, and Aaliyah, and he gave me many more since. My prayer since that day that she passed has always been, uh, starts with you give and you take away. Mm-hmm. When the flood took the world, God gave Noah and his family to the next generation. When God took Abraham's father, he gave Abraham the promised son. When God took Yitzhak's mom, he gave Rivka. When Pharaoh took Israel's children, God gave them more, followed, <clears throat> followed with freedom. When Isabel took the lovers of God and Elijah thought he was alone, God gave 7,000, one of whom was Elisha. Before God took the temple, he gave the Messiah. When Christians thought they were going to be wiped out by Muslims, Christians further spread throughout the world. When Jews must have felt that the Nazis were annihilating them out of existence, God preserved them and gave them Israel. When when our eyes can only see the end, we need to trust that God will not let it be the end. Because the everlasting kingdom began with the Messiah and is in us and will continue everlasting. We are part of that everlasting kingdom. And there is a generation that will see it here on earth. He is our hope because time and history has proved that we can trust him. Thank you for your message. Um, And I want to thank you for the prophetic word as you began. Um, my son says to me, Mom, this feels kind of targeted. <laughs> and I said, it is, because God speaks through one man to all of us. Um, as you guys know, we moved here to Texas from Florida, um, and we had never owned anything ever but the clothes on our back. And when you said it's time to build, 
my kids look at me and they're like, seriously? Um, we just recently purchased our first half acre. Amen. And, and praise to God. I mean, um, and you know, when, when God is in the midst of things, it's so easy how certain things take place. Like I never, I walked in, they showed us that it was just, everything was perfect. Um, so I want to thank you for that. Um, because although we already have the land, it's reaffirming what God is doing with us. Um, and then you go into this eulogy and I'm like, okay. Because right along with this blessing, we also received this news um, that a, an aunt of mine, sister of my grandmother, just passed away yesterday. Oh. Um, old age, however, is a family member, so we're so full with joy, and at the same time, with pain because of someone we love, mm -hmm. um, but also thankful mm -hmm. in all things. And that's why I said earlier, thank you, God, because in everything I trust in you and everything you have sovereign control when we surrender to you. And I'm thankful for them. So thank you. Amen. Thank you. Thank you for joining us. If you enjoyed this message, please consider sharing it with a friend or family member and help us out by giving a review on iTunes or other podcast platform. Check out our website at walkingemmausroad.org for additional teachings and information about visiting Emmaus Road in Kingwood, Texas. Thank you.